We served sandwiches rolled in pita bread. We made all the dressings and we, we had everything that you could possibly want on a sandwich. And long story short, if you ran out of alfalfa sprouts, it's not the end of the world. If you run out of bread, it is. You're closed. So we always ordered excess bread. So at the end of the day, we cooked it off cut it into chips and seasoned it and baked it and gave them away for free to people standing in line. And eventually we had to make a decision because it's Massachusetts and it's winter and you really, you really don't want to be standing out there in snow pants. <laughs> so eventually we kind of had to make a decision where we, and we tried to find indoor locations and all of this. But in the meantime, we decided we would just start the pita chip company. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Stacy Madison is the founder of Stacy's Pita Chips. Once upon a time, she used to give away the chips on the side of her food truck located in downtown Boston. She quickly realized that the chips had the potential to be a bestseller. Well, she was right. And Stacy ended up building a huge company and selling Stacy's pita chips to Pepsi in 2006. After selling Stacy's, she launched her own juice bar, where again, she quickly realized that the energy bars were actually the top seller. She figured out how to produce them in larger quantities and start distribution into retail stores. Thus, Stacy is now on her latest venture, Be Bold Bars, a nut butter bar with high-end nuts, oats, chia, chocolate chips, maple, and wildflower honey. Nothing processed and no powders, just simple ingredients that they mix, press, and pack. I tried them and loved them. I had a chance to sit down with Stacy earlier this month. Her story is coming up after the break. The following message comes from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, a global edge to cloud company, helping you prepare for the next wave of digital transformation. If you're looking to add a podcast to your mix, tune into HPE Tech Talk. It's a podcast for business leaders and change makers that want to be in the know on the latest tech trends that are propelling businesses and whole industries forward. The HPE Tech Talk podcast tackles big tech predictions and explores questions like, how can you monetize data? What's the future of cloud? And why is Zero Trust the gold standard for security? Search HPE Tech Talk in your podcast app to subscribe. And now on with the show. We're back. I started my conversation with Stacy by asking how it all came about and how she actually started Stacy's Pita Chips. What was her life like prior to becoming a literal entrepreneurial legend in the snack category? I was a clinical social worker. <laughs> so kind of, of I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think everybody, you, every entrepreneur you ask has done something else that they preferred not to do for their whole life. And what was that like? I mean, in, in terms of your clinical social worker, so how does this idea for pita chips come about? And then how do you launch the business? So all through college and grad school, I always was waitressing or cocktailing or somehow involved in the restaurant industry. And, you know, no matter where you were in the country, even in the world, it's the kind of basis for, you know, you can get a job anywhere. So it makes you very transient. And I loved being transient. I still do. <laughs> I still love being transient. And, um, but it, it's a good fallback. You could always fall back on it. And, it. and, you know, when I went to school, my dad was a psychologist and my mom was a teacher for a while. And I, I, I more went to school because like social work was like, and psychology was easy because I grew up with it and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I got my degree and then I went to, I started working. I was working in DC with homeless, pregnant, drug addicted women in a group home. I loved it but I made something like 23 or $24,000 a year and barely enough to survive at that point in time. And um, then went back on another license so that I could private practice and make 60 bucks an hour or whatever. 
And then I was completely isolated. You know, I was working when other people weren't working. Then I would, it was, it's some of my compassion was lost after working with such a needy group of people and then coming to marriage and family counseling and lost a little compassion, kind of like, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, you really don't know what problems are at this point. You know, it's, um, it's terrible to say that, but you know, at least I could acknowledge that. And then I moved around a lot. And in the process of moving, I, re- I left social work and I realized I wanted to be doing something with food. I was out on the West Coast and California and Hawaii, and there is always easy access to healthy food. Whereas back East in 97, it was really nothing. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's interesting that you started this and you were out in California. It makes complete sense. Uh, and especially at the time for the launch of this type of a healthier snack. But you mentioned that you love being transient. How, how come? I just feel like an experience is something that can never be taken away from you. And with travel and traveling all around the world, you realize what a bubble we live in. And I just truly value other cultures, other foods, other people. And I just love learning it and seeing it. So I, when I first lost my, I lost a job out in Cal and uh, Hawaii. And before coming back to the United, to the continental United States, I went to Thailand and this was 30 years ago, right? At least 30 years ago, maybe 35 and uh, Thailand is very different today than it was back then. But when you, you know, in my head, it's like, well, if you lose a job, the greatest thing that you could do is get in shape and go visit a poverty stricken nation because it doesn't cost you anything to travel. So and and, on t- and that's, you know, you, you gain so much experience from from that kind of living. Yeah. What, what did you learn, I think, about yourself and about life during that period of time and and going to Thailand? Well, you get to see, you know, you learn different things from each different place, but certainly in Thailand, you learn a lot about what happiness and success is, and it doesn't necessarily equivalent wealth, like equal to wealth. And, you know, there's a difference. And plus, when you go from country to country, you know, you can go, you can be in Thailand, and you can see that, you know, these families, you know, you may see them sitting on the street, they have their little store below their house. And, you know, you would think, oh, they're poor, but they are wealthy in terms of they have a a clothing, food, clothing, shelter, they have their own business, they have their families, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, of seeing that. And then you go from there to Cambodia or India, and you see, well, when you visit a garbage dump where there are kids that don't have shoes, that don't have clothes, and you're like, okay, well, we don't, do we really know what poverty is, what happiness is? And you really get to see that when you go to a different country versus your own, and then you go to another country and you see the comparison of that. I mean, it's just, it's why I did the same kind of travel with my kids. It was, you know, one of my raising children goals was to homeschool them and take them away for five months and live elsewhere. So I kind of did that twice. And my goal was to do it three times before they left for college. But now they're 17 and a half. And with COVID, I don't know that I'm going to get the third visit. Yeah. And uh, 17 and a half, I can only imagine. Oh, they don't want to go with me. Because yeah. <laughs> I have a 13 and 11 year old. They barely want to hang out with me on the weekend. Oh, um, no. You're lucky. I mean, my, well, yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, mine, I was lucky that I was able to take my kids. I think I took them when they were about three and a half to, and we went all around Europe and for five or six months. And then when they were 10 after, right after I sold the pita chip company, I took them and we went all over Southeast Asia. And, you know, I'll never forget their elementary school. The principal there, Kate was from the military. And when I asked about taking him out of school to do this, I will never forget because he kind of made me cry. Mm. What he said, he said here at Deerfield Elementary, (laughs) we'd (laughs) like to think that we are raising children of the world, not the children of Westwood. And I was like, 
oh my God, he gets it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, it's going to be, it'll be a wonderful experience. They did whatever they could to help with remote learning. There was a time when we were at Everest and the class was reading the book at Everest and we Skyped from there. And for people to say, oh, they're not going to get the same kind of education. I mean, I don't think you can, I don't think you can measure that. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. So, you know, learning these lessons and, and, you know, it sounds like always since the start, your focus or your real interest was in, was in helping people and talking about even learning from your father and, and, and what he did, and then really doing the social work and counseling and all that you've learned through those experiences and then traveling. How did that impact the type of entrepreneur you became? Well, I think you, you, I mean, you use that skill (laughs) set when you start growing from, you know, a handful of people to 300, you really start to be able to use that, the networking skills and the people skills when it comes to both building out your staff and making it, you know, one of the best places to work. Right. It's really, you know, you figure out ways to engage with people. And I think that is the biggest contributor. So how, how did the business come about? So Mark and I, Mark was my business partner. Everybody knows this story. It's an open book. He was my friend, my brother's best, you know, one of my brother's best friends, my friend, business partner, lover, married, divorced. Yeah, I, we got the whole gamut, right? Yeah, you so, lived the whole experience with this guy. the whole experience. We had an amazing chapter. And we both attribute that. I mean, I don't think either one of us would say that we would trade that chapter for anything. So Mark and I, at the time we were living out in Hawaii, it sounds glamorous. I mean, it is an amazing place, but it's also the kind of place when you're living in downtown Honolulu that you have to work two jobs just to live in room with a cot and no kitchen sink kind of thing. So, you know, we were both living out there. Mark was doing an internship at the VA hospital for his PhD and also in psychology. And I was working at a surf theme restaurant as a manager, an assistant manager. At first I was waitressing and they asked me if I wanted to be a part of a team to open up this surf restaurant. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And I really, I busted my ass 80 hours a week got a ton of experience in a startup operation, was asking, you know, and and was promised all kinds of bonuses. Long story short, they ended up letting me go. And I was shocked. I had never lost a job before. And silly me, five other people were, you know, four other people were let go. There were five of us assistant managers. And kind of once we got it open for them, they just ditched us. I would, you know, and you learn a lot about how to run a business and how not to run a business. And I was young and taken aback, but had they just been upfront with me, um, I would have been like, oh, well, I have a year in Hawaii and I'll give it my all. And that's, you know, and then I go, I'm going back home. So it's really not a big deal, but you know, they weren't. So I got a lot of experience on both how to run a business and how not to run a business and taking that experience of kind of being screwed, you realize your own potential. Well, what am I going to do now? And how am I going to do it? And if I work that hard for somebody else, then how can I apply this same skill set and do it for myself? And was that difficult at that time? Because I assume that's when you, and I want to hear how or how it came about, but was that difficult for you to say, hey, stop working for someone else, start my, my own business? Well, I kind of had a short window of time before I knew I was going back. So I was in one of those weird positions where I, I didn't want to screw an employer either and work for a few months and then leave. And Mark was still in school. So we started this thing. So we were living in this high rise building at that time. We had moved out of our room with the cot and <laughs> we got a roommate and we we're in this high rise building. So Mark also liked to cook and we put up a sign down in the lobby and we said condo cuisine and all you had to do. And, and again, this is before email and all that. All you had to do was fax your, okay. here's the, here's the menu, yeah. fax your order to this number. The investment was a fax machine 
and people would say, you know, oh, I'll be home at five o'clock. And, you know, we'd say, you know, the chili and sea bass is what we're serving with black rice or whatever. And people would fax order. They'd have their dinner ready when they got home. And a lot of single people in the building, nobody wanted to cook. So, yeah, it was great. We did sort of get closed down because it was an illegal kitchen. We were just cooking from the apartment. <laughs> so wait, but you got closed we down? Cooking. We had this deal with our roommate where, you know, we did all of the cooking and were able to offset some of our rents where we helped her doing other stuff. And then we were like, well, if we can just cook for her, we're cooking for her anyway. We may as well just cook for the whole building. And yeah, yeah, no, we got a phone call from the health department that's like, are you preparing this food in a commercial kitchen? And we're like, not really. <laughs> and then we're like, yeah, you have to stop. You have to go look for a commercial kitchen or you have to stop. Well, the so. funny thing is you're way ahead of your time because then all these meal plan companies came out in the last you know, 10 oh, yeah. years. So you could have done that, but how did the, okay. How did the pita chips happen? Yeah. So then, then we came back to, well, then we went to, we did go to Thailand. Then we came back to, to Boston and we bought a food cart and we converted it into a, like kind of a deli counter that served healthy sandwiches. And again, there was nothing there at the time in 97, there was nothing. So we served sandwiches, rolled in pita bread. We made all the dressings and we, we had everything that you could possibly want on a sandwich. And, you know, long story short, if you ran out of alfalfa sprouts, it's not the end of the world. If you run out of bread, it is you're closed. So we always ordered excess bread. So at the end of the day, we cooked it off cut it into chips and seasoned it and baked it and gave them away for free to people standing in line. And eventually we had to make a decision because it's Massachusetts and it's winter and you really, you really don't want to be standing out there in snow pants. <laughs> so eventually we kind of had to make a decision where we, and we tried to find indoor locations and all of this. But in the meantime, we decided we would just start the pita chip company. And we figured we could grow bigger, faster. And especially we had had so many doors slammed in our face to try to get we didn't want to go to a different location because we were in the financial district. We already had a reputation. We had our customer following and the small spaces were all being eaten up by Oban Pan and Dunkin' Donuts and pre-Starbucks. But, you know, sure. you get the picture. They were like, you and your food cart can go stand on that. <laughs> yeah, no one was into food carts or had food. They didn't realize uh, that again was going to be another trend that you were ahead of. More from our guests. But first, a word from our sponsors. How do the most innovative companies reach mobile consumers? Meet Attentive, the text messaging solution trusted by innovative retail and e-commerce brands like CB2, Coach, and thousands of Shopify brands. On average, Attentive customers see 25 times ROI and 18.5% of online revenue driven by SMS. Grow your SMS list fast and engage high-value, mobile subscribers with personalized messages that exceed your performance marketing goals. Getting started is easy. Attentive's best-in-class SMS marketing experts will help you quickly launch and scale your SMS program. Ready for SMS to become one of your top three revenue channels? Learn how to get started with your free trial by requesting a demo at attentivemobile.com. And our next sponsor, Social media content is vital to any entrepreneurial venture these days. I recently started a company called Amaze Media Labs. We create branded podcasts for companies and own several podcast networks. Each of our networks has multiple social media platforms. And until recently, it's been so tedious to create content for each of these separate platforms. That is until I started using Issue the easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everywhere you want to be seen. It's been a complete game changer for us. Basically, Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content, from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures and more. With Issue, you create your content once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. It's really incredible and super easy to use. Nowadays, every business is its own media company and having Issue on your side to create and distribute your content will be your secret weapon. So get started with Issue today for free. 
or if you sign up for a premium account, you'll get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code HSH. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code HSH at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. And we're back. It sounds kind of nonchalant, but when you think we're going to go like the doing the pita chip thing and just focusing on that, I mean, you were giving them out. Were, were people just loving them? Was that, was that when it hit you? Like, this is the better business? I mean, initially it was free. We were just giving them out for free. Um, then we kind of had extra. We put, put them in little baggies. If people wanted to buy them with their lunch, they could. And then people sometimes would say, oh, I'm having a party this weekend. I eat your chips with my hummus that I make. Can you make a bigger bag? So then we would kind of sell them bulk. And then we we're like, well, maybe we should see what's involved with just selling them. And so what did you do? Because when I think of launching a, you know, a consumer product, a food company business, you're thinking about producing, manufacturing, packaging, retail. A lot, of, it, a lot of pieces. Yeah. A lot of pieces it, and a lot of mistakes we made along the way. A big learning curve. Well, tell me about it. How, how did it happen? Like, so how do you go from there and just say, let's do this? So over the winter months, I started with the package design. We found an artist who was in grad school. I kind of bought a whole bunch of different other products and said, this is the look and feel I'm trying to get. And she presented us with some labels. In the beginning, we had a bag and we were hand stickering like five labels to this bag on every single bag. And as we started getting busier and busier, that's a lot of stickering. So, um, we 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 had the we started with the design. We went to local companies and set up a table and said we'd love to have people just try them to see what flavors they'd like. We went and we circulated the trade shows. We talked to the Department of Food Food and Agriculture. We talked to NASFT, which is National National Association of the Specialty Food Trade. We talked to like we tried to drum up anybody and everybody that we could get involved with just to you know, find people to talk to. And then we went and we toured every manufacturing facility that we could find. So for example, we toured um, Cape Cod potato chips, regional brand, super nice. And they had this cutter they were using to cut potatoes. And we're thinking we're now, now as we're cutting pita chips and we're getting started, you know, Mark's right bicep is like this big because like the bowling ball, right? Because he's cutting with a knife, <laughs> cutting, he's cutting, he's cutting them into tips. And we're like, we got to figure out it's not like a tortilla chip because it's not raw dough, it's cooked dough. So you're right. trying to figure out how do we cut the damn things? That was our first challenge. And so when we went down to the Cape Cod potato chip factory, we saw um, this machine and it was cutting potatoes. We're like, we need something like that. And we were, you know, we were asking all kinds of potato cutting questions and this and that. We're like, can we get the name of the machine? And they're like, yeah, sure. And so they gave us the name and then we contacted the machine company. We had a guy who was kind of like could tinker with anything. And so we bought this machine that used to cut. It was like from, it was as old as I, 1964. Okay. <laughs> and it cut it was used to cut Campbell's soup carrots. You know, those tiny little carrots. Of course. So, and how do they cut those damn things, right? You never think about that when you, you've eaten that soup. So this cut these little square carrots and we were like, well, if it can cut carrots, it can cut bread. So Gary basically took the blades of the machine and he respaced them. So he took some out and he made the spaces wider so instead of cutting squares, square carrots, then we made it bigger. And we're all at this point. I mean, this was this was huge for us. At this point, we were all standing over the you feed the bread into the machine and it comes and it spits out at the other end. And we're holding a bucket at the other end and we're feeding the bread in the machine. And we're like, all right, ready, go. And we start feeding, feeding, feeding. And all of a sudden, out of the other side of the machine, we had chips. We had like, <laughs> they were chips. They were cut pieces of bread. And we were like, oh my God, we figured it out. We figured, you know, we figured it out. And now it was like, oh, now we can go figure something else out. 
<laughs> What's right. the next thing we got to figure out? And that's really how we built the, how we built the whole company. It, it just sounds like a groundbreaking moment. I, I love that oh. story. But how are you funding at this time? Did you have to put money into the business, and you know, or was it you were doing everything on your own, selling? You know, I, you I assume had to yeah, buy. I mean, the that equipment. machine was like five or ten thousand dollars or something. I mean, it was a used machine, obviously nineteen sixty four, but you know, ran like a tank. And you know, we didn't have five or ten thousand dollars. I mean, Mark had got just got his PhD at a hundred thousand dollars in student loans. I had you know mine. I certainly had mine, not like that large, but we had we certainly had our our share of debt when we were starting it. So we did a lot of the I hate to admit it, but a lot of the uh, credit card shuffle, right? In college, back, way back when we probably all did it, where zero percent financing, you get that stupid thing in the mail. And you'd be like, oh, you could get a credit card. You have pre-approved for $5,000. I'm like, this is how we're going to do it. And yeah. we get that credit card and they're like, no, no charge, no interest charge for six months. So we get the $5,000. We paid for the machine. We put it on the credit card and then we wait for the next one to come in the mail. And they'd be like, you are pre-approved for $5,000. <laughs> and the first thing we would do is transfer it off one card and onto the other card. And, and you know, it's a credit card shuffle. Hey, that's, that's, that's uh, fantastic. I mean, just to think of where you were in starting a business like that, you know, especially nowadays, so many people are starting business are looking at millions of dollars in funding and your story is just old fashioned grit and hustle. And I, I, I love stories like that. You know, you seem pretty mellow and like, but like, were you anxious at the time? Like if this had failed or, did you learn from your travels, like you kind of alluded to at the beginning that, eh, you know what, I'm, I'm still healthy or what was your feeling at the time? Were you anxious? We always used to say failure is not an option. Here we are with a master's and a PhD and we're standing on the street corner behind a food cart, which was at the time kind of taboo, not very glamorous. And no. we are like, this is, it's this, or we fall back on our other careers. Certainly we could have done that, but it's very humbling at times, humiliating, but you just got to do what you, we had to do what we had to do. We had to, we put everything day and night, day and night, day and night into this business to figure out all of those things so that we could grow it because we really just didn't want to go back to our other professions. Was there ever a time you thought or we're thinking maybe this isn't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> There's times where you step back and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, oh, and at the same time, you're watching all of the people you went to school with that are having families and kids and they have, you know, they're accountant or lawyers and they got jobs and they're getting cars and houses. And, and, you know, you really, you feel like really like a loser sometimes, but, uh, but, you know, you got to just hike up your, pick yourself up and, and move on each day and just believe in what you're doing. And we were getting positive. So, you know, we were getting positive feedback from the industry when we started doing trade shows and people are like, Oh, these are so good. Oh, these are so good. And then, you know, there were other times like other competitor products that are out there, not really pita chips, but other stuff that was trying to be healthy that just tasted gross and ours tasted delicious. So, you know, you like them. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. I'm waiting for that case to arrive that you promised. It will. <laughs> it will. We are going to, you're, you're going <laughs> I'm um, just kidding. Hopefully before 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's uh, I need it with my hummus, but so you just said it, it's really interesting how entrepreneurs and especially during those days, because that was about the time I started my first business and all my friends were getting jobs at banks or accounting firms. And I was starting this little business out of my apartment. And it was almost like, I felt like you said, like such a loser, like no one looked at an entrepreneur at that time, you know, as someone, you know, like who, who might, you know, actually have a good idea or be smart or might build. And, 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 and you said that. It's almost you know, derogatory. Like, like this person is crazy. Like what are they doing? They just don't, they still, they're this old. They still don't know what they want to do. Totally. It was a so life. 
<laughs> it was so true. It was such a time during that period where it was almost like, and I remember I was starting mine, I guess maybe a little like it was right when the OJ trial was happening. And, you yep. know, I, I just remember that because I, I, I'd have to, I didn't walk, you know, I just was so had to be so focused on the business and like just sit in that apartment by myself. Who know I would be sitting back starting a business by myself again with COVID now, but like, it was very difficult and, and no, everyone was like, what are you doing? Go get it. Like, I remember my first, you know, I had a job I left. I was at Lehman brothers, funny enough. And then I said, I want to go start my own business. And everyone was like, stay at Lehman. It's the safe bet. And it just shows you, but for you, you said there was, there was some humiliation. When was the first time you were actually like, you know what? I think I'm doing the right thing. And I think this could be a big success. You know, it's when you are working that hard and you realize that, that it doesn't seem like work, you're just loving what you're doing. And that is really like, that's the successful part, part of it is when you actually maybe start to make a little bit of a living, just doing what you love to do every day. And at some point it starts to shift a little bit to all of your friends over at Lehman brothers who are kind of like, who are kind of like, Oh, they're, they're getting up at five 30 and sitting in traffic and driving and then driving home. And they're like, I'm like, you know what? I don't, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm like, I'm renting a place that's as close to the factory as I possibly can get. If I could walk, then even better. Or, you know, and kind of, and it's just like you, you start to realize, well, you're not envious of them anymore or jealous or anything. You're just like, oh, well, you know what? I'm, it's not work to me. I come home and I do more of it because I just like doing it. It's yeah. not a job. It's so true that, you know, and even for me today, and it's like initially starting a new business and, you know, you think of your friends who have really high level jobs at these amazing companies and maybe I, and then when things start working and you're, you're like, I wouldn't trade that for anything right now. Like, and that's one thing just with our listeners who are out there, a lot of our listeners, they're working for big companies, but they have these ideas and any advice you could give to them, you know, to say, you know, like, go for it kind of type of thing. Yeah. I mean, we were already so broke that what's a difference at that point. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're like, okay, I'm a hundred thousand dollars in the hole. Grand, right? so, but where your, you know, your listeners, I mean, that's definitely certainly a much harder leap in that sense. So I guess I would say, don't quit your day job. And, you know, there's a lot of ways now, um, as certainly, you know, we were bootstrapping and that was extremely time consuming. And I think there's a lot of ways now that you can dabble without quitting your, your, without putting your entire life at risk. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, we didn't have kids. We didn't own a home yet. We didn't, you know, I mean, it's not like we were young, but we, certainly didn't have anything else to lose that we hadn't already lost. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know how much harder and I always say and how much respect I have for some of these folks that they're sitting there with a couple kids, mortgage, and uh, all of a sudden want to leave because they have this great idea. I love stories like that. But going back to Stacy's pita chips, when was it that you know, you were like, wow, we're building this business. We're scaling it. Like, did it all come or was it a long slog? No, I mean, it was a long time, especially when, since we were doing our own manufacturing, you know, there was no such thing as a pita chip out there. We looked everywhere for someone else to, to try to make it in somebody else's factory. Or, you know, we looked at tortilla chip companies. We looked at crouton companies. We looked at, it's kind of like this hybrid type of thing. So uh, we ended up, sort of like building this Dr. Seuss factory of just, you know, first you have to cut, you know, you have to get baked bread or bake your own bread. You have to, and that was a big turning point in the company was when we started baking our own bread, but you know, you have, so you, you, then you have to cut the bread, then you have to send the bread, then you have to bake it. And then, you know, I mean, you know, so we basically took each piece, you know, how is this going to be made? Because initially we were just making them on a tray in a regular oven. And we hired a, a consultant to come in who said to us, 
you know, if you, this is a delicious product, but if you want to scale it on any kind of level, you're never going to get this home-baked taste if you're trying to mass produce it. And in our heads, we just couldn't, like, we couldn't swallow that. We could not accept that kind of an answer because we were like, well, if we have one oven, why not? If we have a thousand ovens, you know, like, I don't understand. Where's it? Where's the roadblock here? So, I mean, this was a, this was a, a high paid executive from somewhere and that's just not the way they, they just, you know, it's, it's a, a different skill set at that point. You know, we used to think, oh, if we could just get somebody in like this or like that. But the reality is, is that they have not necessarily gone through the steps that it takes to get to scale the course. So you build the business up, you do extremely well. How does the deal come about where PepsiCo acquires your company? Like what type of revenue, what type, how big was the business and and why did you decide to, to sell? Well, we were sort of at that inception point where you grow and you grow and you go from running the business to the business running you. And we started growing really fast and the business more started running us rather than us kind of just going to work and loving what we were doing every day. It started to become this different beast than, you know, than where we started. That being said, I also had twin toddlers raising them by myself. I think Mark was at the point where he was burnt out and, you know, he had always wanted to do more traveling, but yet could never take the time and didn't have the money to do it. So he wanted to do that. And so we were like, and then we were getting offers like from, a pro, not offers, but we were getting approached by you know, some of the global leaders. And, we were, and so whereas we never considered selling, selling or we never had this exit strategy, but then we were like, you know what, maybe, maybe this is, maybe we should consider this. And so that's the point in time in the company where we, we started to consider it. And we got a team together who brought to the table, you know, obviously a lot of value. And what was that like when you, when you sold the business and did you go on to work still on the business at PepsiCo? What was that time like for you? So it was, I mean, first you're like, okay, well now what do I do? You're lost. You're excited. You're sad. You know, Mark just like left, left. And I was contracted to stay on for a while and it was hard. You know, I don't know if I was doing more harm than good. Because I was there, they brought in a CEO, you know, somebody to run the company. Then I was no longer running the company, but my, you know, the accounts would contact me and say, you know, I, I mean, I always went with the belief you, anybody who wants to buy chips can buy chips. I don't care if you're only getting one case of chips or if you want a mixed case of chips, if you want, we're going to do it. So then all of a lot of the smaller accounts who stood by our side in the beginning and then in the end, they were like, well, what, you know, we can't get this. We have to have a minimum now. We have to, you know, and so they would contact me and then I would, same thing with the employees, you know, the, the employees then are kind of in this, this like frozen in headlights kind of thing. Yeah. They're already shocked that the company has sold. Then they're like, well, in the middle of the office where my office is on one side, the CEO is on the other side and they're standing in the middle and they're like, okay, which way do I go? And then I have CEO that's come in and, you know, if I try to do something or iron out the things or when I was trying to kind of do, you know, make it better, I would get yes, but nothing would happen. Kind of, I don't know. They would just kind of suck up and then not make a change. And they're like, well, because we have to go through this. We have to go through legal. We have to, you know, I'm like, whatever. It's a whole different world. <laughs> so I ended up. So, so it was like a very upsetting year for me, but then, you know, I did take the kids and I traveled some more. I came back and, and I did quits. I was contracted on for five years. Actually, I stayed, you know, like eight months. I really only had to go in 20 hours a year and I went in every day. So, like I said, I was probably just in the way. So I ended up, I was talking to my lawyer and he was like, what are you doing? Like, you don't have to do this. They bought the company. Like you don't have to do this. And I'm on the phone at 2 a.m. in Europe. And, and then I'm just like, all right. He's like, you know, we can start to talk about negotiating, getting you out of this position. And 
So that's kind of what happened. And now I do things for Stacy's and I love it. I love it because it's in my, it's part of my heart and they're doing things that are wonderful for women entrepreneurs. And I can do it because I genuinely want to do it. I, you know, I don't get paid. I volunteer or, you know, I, you know, they ask me to do something. I always say yes. And that just, it's genuine. It just makes it a completely different story than if you're contracted to stay. Yeah. That's really cool though, that you're kind of back and, you know, at least involved from a promotional standpoint, it still has your name on it. It's become this iconic brand and that's really cool. But I know you, you lasted a, a short amount of time, which a lot of people do once they sell their businesses. I think I'm the only person who always ends up staying on five years. But But, um, I I, know what I learned too about some of these large companies is one of the reasons why people who work in these large corporations, and again, this is only coming from an outsider, but one of the reasons why so many people are there for two and three decades and, and things like that is they do get to rotate around. Now, I don't know if that's the best thing for the brand itself. But there was the people are there for like two years. And every two years, like two years later, I would get a phone call. Oh, we have a new team in there. And they want to meet Stacy and all this. And they're like, and it's new in fresh blood, right? So it's like they do rotate their staff through. So they get to work in different positions. That being said, it's a baby brand. And, you know, not having that consistency straight through, I think it's taken, it does take longer to grow it that way than if you stayed with an original team. I know we don't have too much time left and, and we haven't I know, even- I'm got, sorry, I didn't even- we, ha- we haven't even <laughs> gotten to it, but you're jumping back in the game or you've jumped back in the game in a way with a product. And can you talk about Be Bold Bars and what this is? Sure. Yeah. Show you, these are the bars. And I did put the, you know, we've kind of oh, put like the picture that. on the package of the carton, just so you can kind of see um, what they're made of. And, you know, one thing I'm jumping back into the game. And one of the reasons is because, and this is the first product I'm launching since the pita chip company. So I hope there's some value in that be, you know, in that in itself. And that kind of validates how much I believe in this product. I had a juice bar for seven years and we sold these at the juice bar and it was one of our most successful products. And, you know, I'm kind of like, well, why don't I just bring this to market? And, you know, my brother also worked with us. So my brother was like, I said, Dave, well, you know, you, you built up the operations at the pita chip company. Why don't, you know, I'm like, would you be interested? I'm like, we should just if we could, if I'm selling this many, then you start playing the calculator game and you're like, well, other people, <laughs> and no, I, and you know, people are like, well, you don't have to do this, and but this is like, again, how do I want, if you look at your life and your day, how do I want that to be? And one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, cause you know, with the whole entrepreneur kind of umbrella that we're talking about. Right. And I was trying to think, well, what would I say is an entrepreneur? And I would say an entrepreneur is a person who proactively builds the world around them, how they want to live. And that's kind of what I did with the juice bar. When I stepped back and said, well, now what do I want to do with my life? I want to show my kids that I'm working. I want to be five minutes from where I work. I don't want to have to set my alarm. I don't want to, you know, kind of you lay out your day and that, and that's what you do. And, and so that's the joy of being back into the game now is that this is a product just like the pita chip company that was just started organically. Not literally, it's not literally organic, but it started just in, in, well, in it's it, not, like itself. It's not something, oh, I'm going to start another company. I'm going to go out and buy something. And, you know. It sounds like it started the same way Stacy's did with, you know, you're making another product. You have a juice bar. You realize, oh, people are loving this one thing we're doing. And for you There's now- no greater market research. Right. right than right. having a juice bar for seven years and seeing all the stuff that's selling. You know, I mean, I could have just I could have just rolled out a bunch of juice bars and I, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm so, actually I'm putting together a book, a recipe book. <laughs> we gotta talk about that. But also just with this business, how does it feel? Like you you know how much hard work it was building Stacy's and time. Like, are you approaching it the same way? Are you rolling up your sleeves the same way? 
or is it, is this different? Are you getting funding? What, what's the, do you see yourself working just as hard as you did in those early days of Stacy's? So now we've brought on a team. It's self-funded. And that is, you sound just like my brother because he was like, do you really want to build it the same way? You really want, you know, all that sweat equity putting into it. And that's why, you know, and now, you know, we brought on a bunch of people from, not a bunch of people, two people from the pita chip company who, you know, one to run this company and another one for sales. And we hired a couple of other people along the way. But so I think it's a little different in that we're starting with a team. It's, uh, you know, it's the same in that it's self-funded. The business is designed around the customer and the customer base that we already know loves them. You know, taste first. Same thing with the pita chips. You know, they taste great. And, and that's first and foremost. And, you know, in a lot of ways, a bar is a snack and your snack should taste great. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, how did it, I know you launched it pre-pandemic. Has it been difficult? Yeah, two months before the pandemic. <laughs> two months for, two or three months before we find, we took a whole year to get the product and the design and everything going. And yeah, we, we got it, we got into Publix. It was, you know, a, a home run. Oh, First yeah. off it was Huge 1200 change. stores. Oh, it was, yeah, great. We're in the refrigerated section over by the yogurts and then COVID. And then it's like, you know, there's no, no marketing, no demoing, no sampling, no, the buyers aren't in the stores, no meetings. Who can predict consumer behavior in a grocery store during a pandemic, right? It's feast or famine. People oh, yeah. are going in, they don't want anything new. They just want to get their Tide and their Clorox and they're just going to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of, so yeah, we launched, so then we had to do a major pivot and, um, focus more on our online business. And, you know, we were selling off of beboldbars.com. We put samples in HelloFresh. We were trying to be creative in, in getting the bars into the mouths of people. And now it's, now we're starting to get a little bit more traction and the stores are starting to open up. So, you know, yeah. How are you feeling? How you- ahead of us. How are you feeling about the business right now and today? And I mean, excellent. I think it's a, a you know, I mean, it's the first thing since I launched since the pita chip company. So, you know, I think we are, you know, we've surrounded ourselves with believers and we have our stores and that believe in the product. And you know, I feel, I mean, I feel really good about it. And so you know, it'll, it'll grow. It's just, you know, the COVID year is just as hard for us as for anybody else and everybody else. I think our advantage in that kind of situation is that we are no strangers to crisis management. Right. <laughs> We've had fires and floods and what the hell, throw a pandemic in there, right? So yeah, we're no we're no strangers to the to the whole thing. We just, you know, are, we're we're kind of good at figuring out, okay, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get people to try it? Now there's all these home delivery things. We're gonna get in those boxes. So I love it. It seems like you're completely energized and I have no doubt that this is going to grow into another major brand, just like uh, Stacy's pita chips. And I want to thank you for coming on how success happens and just really best of luck with, with the new business. Thank you. I mean, thank you so much for having me too. I mean, I don't know where I came across it, but I saw, you know, I saw this and then I was like, wow, he's got some great guests. And I'm like, this is an entrepreneurial thing is that, you know, you, you got to reach out and you got to call people and you got to ask people. And we reached out to you and you're like, yeah, love to have her on the show. Uh, I I love it. I saw stay. I, as I said prior, I mean, I love the brand and you always want to meet the person behind. Like I had to meet Stacy. We did uh, the guy from Craigslist. I had to meet Craig. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And we will get you some chips and we will get you some bars for sure. And yeah, we definitely, you know, it's important for us and, and for, you know, we, all we're doing is one by one, we're, we're getting believers and, and hopefully when you try them, that you're going to be right there with us. I'm sure you already, you know, you did your test marketing and I have no doubt that uh, this is going to be another incredible brand. And I am sure like you, you know, what I like is what you said, like you've gone through so many of these ups and downs that the pandemic, it's another thing you deal with and you figure it out. And I, I think I've noticed that all of these successful entrepreneurs I've interviewed, it's all about everyone faces these challenges. Every so many 
It's the ones that figure it out, move on, pick themselves up and stay the course that end up being successful. It's really a simple formula from what I've learned. Yeah, you got it. You yeah. got it. People are like, oh, it's the timing. It's luck. And it's like, no, it's not. It's all those hundred decisions that you make every single week that you know gets you to where you need to go. Yeah. No, so, so true. And also, can you, if you don't mind, would you ask some of your listeners perhaps would follow me on Instagram because that, that's all new to me. And um, it's Absolutely. underscore Stacey. <laughs> I can't get verified. Like, it's a real, uh, we might be able, Facebook's a client of ours, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, yay. Well, for some reason, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have enough cloud or people don't know, I don't know what it is, but I, for some reason, I just cannot get verified. Yeah, you know, they're tough. Instagram. But you, I, I'm sure you will be. Give us your Instagram account so people can follow you. So it's at underscore Stacy Madison, or it's at at Be Bold Bars. Either one, both get yeah. you to the same place. It's a different world than '97, right? When you're launching, oh, you, you got to have the social media now. It's so important. You don't necessarily need a fax machine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my first business, and that we—that's all I had. I didn't even have a computer when I first started. I had a fax machine so I could fax contracts, and then I got a computer, a laptop, maybe like six months later. And I was working off like yellow notepads and making phone yeah. calls. When you were in college, you probably had to go to the library to print. Oh, totally. I, I, you know what? I think I had like one of those word pro like, uh, yeah, I don't even know how they work. I guess it was a word processor in my like senior year, but prior to that, it was like, yeah, you print like everything out. It was a word processor typewriter thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was a mix. Out <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks so bad. Kids don't know how easy they have it these days. Oh my God. <laughs> That's what I tell my kids now. I'm like, you have Google. How could you get anything wrong? Yeah. How do you? I know you guys know everything. My kids know everything. So does Siri. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But Stacy, thank you so much. Best of luck with the new business, and and this thank has you. been a real uh, fun, uh, fun interview. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This was great. I didn't, I didn't even use any of my notes. <laughs> there you go. That's the best. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.